and all right. All right, I know that this is a brief one today, but we just want to dive in. We have a lot that we're going to get to. So grab a seat. You know, I also just want to take a moment and thank Don and Jill for all the time that they put into organizing this trunk retreat. So if we can just give them a round of applause. Yeah. And then I had a number of you come up to me last weekend and say, you know, I didn't realize that you and John Began are related. Like... I've seen the similarities, but I didn't realize you were related. And so I went back. I was actually going through my Facebook posts, and I realized I found a good family photo of he and I growing up. Can we throw that picture up there real quick? So there's, there's John and I back when we were younger, a little bit better shape, huh? Anyway, moving on. All right, get rid of that thing. We're twins. And for those of you who have no idea that reference, I have, I've just dated myself. So yes, I'm old. Um, we are in the book of Ephesians. If you, don't, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there's some in the seat back in front of you. I want to invite you to grab that. If you don't own a Bible, that is now yours. That's our gift to you for being here today. Um, and go ahead and keep it. If you already have a bunch, just leave it afterwards. But we are going to be beginning to unpack Ephesians chapter 4. And for those of you who are jumping in midstream, maybe you're joining us for the first time or you've, it's been a little bit since you've been here, let me briefly remind you of where we've been. <clears throat> Ephesians 1 through 3, the first half of this letter, Paul really focuses on who we are in Christ, who our identity is in him. In Christ, we are chosen. We have been adopted in him. And because we've been adopted, we are utterly secure in his love. And because we are all part of his family, that means that regardless of our differences, regardless of the, the things that the world says separates us, we are actually one. We are one body. We are one church in Christ. So that's who we are. And in response to that, Paul dives in, in Ephesians chapter 4 and through the rest of this letter now, he begins to unpack how we should live in light of who we are. These are not things we need to do in order to earn our identity as sons and daughters of God. These are things that we should do in response to the fact that we are sons and daughters of God. And I'm going to uh, go over a little bit of what John talked about last week because much of what he talked about sets the table for where we're going to be going today. So in response to who we are in Christ, ver uh, chapter 4, verse 1, as a prisoner of the Lord, remember Paul is writing from prison in Rome he says, as a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And now he, he begins to list out seven one another's in here, or seven things where, that bring us unity. Make every effort. There is one body. One family of God, this, this one body, and one spirit that binds us together, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, Jesus Christ, one faith that saves us, one baptism where we declare publicly that we are sons and daughters of God, and one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But in spite of this oneness, this unity that we find in Christ, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now let's pause there for a moment. 
And I know that John talked about this a little bit last week, but I want to lean into that term grace for just a moment. That word there is charis, from, where, from which we get the English term charismatic. And typically when we talk about grace, we talk about this undeserved gift that God has given us, his loving kindness that he has lavished on us, and that is the foundation for our relationship with God. We didn't earn it, and yet he has given us his love, right? So when we talk about grace, we often think about that. But that term charis is also the term throughout Scripture that Paul and others use to talk about the gifts that God has given us because charis can mean gifts as well. Paul will lean into this more in in 1 Corinthians. In his letter there, he talks more about the gifts that we have been given, but here are the things that we know from what he's just said. All of those gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. There is one spirit, the spirit of God, and those gifts, we call them spiritual gifts because they flow from the spirit of God and empower us to have talents, abilities, things that are natural propensities, things that are beyond, that are supernaturally above our ability to do. And there's a ton of them. There's over 20 of these gifts that are described. And that that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of the kind of gifts that God can do. Now, I know that you talked about them a lot in your life groups, those of you who are in it. I know that John touched on them last week, and so I'm not going to belabor this, but there's a couple of things I want to point out. First, we need to answer the question of what the heck is the purpose of those gifts? I think this is important for us to remember. Paul doesn't get into it in in the letter of Ephesians. He more kind of tangentially talks about it. But in the book of of his letter to the Corinthians, he does. And so can we throw up 1 Corinthians chapter 12? He says this, To each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Not just for ourselves, but for the common good. Can we go to 1 Corinthians 14? Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, again, that word gifts is charis, since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that do what? Build up the church. Paul's point is that our gifts, although we call them my gift or your gifting, those gifts are not here to make our name great or to build ourselves up. Those gifts are communal gifts. They are intended to build up the body of Christ so that we can care for one another. Paul leans into this metaphor of the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, we all have different gifts, but there is one spirit that gives them and and we are all one body. And so as different parts of the body help one another, so we with different gifts use those gifts to build up the body. And you guys get this. I mean, you have a body. You know that your ear doesn't see. No, that's what your eye is for. And your eye doesn't taste. That's what your tongue is for. And your tongue doesn't help you move around. That's what your feet are for. Each of those parts of your body does different things. And those are just the things that we see. Because imagine where you would be without blood cells to carry oxygen around your body. Where would you be without lungs to take the carbon dioxide from your blood and to put fresh oxygen that can be distributed through your body? Where would you be without kidneys? to cleanse that blood, so on and so on and so forth. Every single part of our body has a part to play. And you don't get mad at your kidneys for not helping you hear, right? When, when your eyesight is going, you're not like, darn it, hands, why the heck aren't you helping me see? And in the same way, we each have different gifts. And it's easy for us to begin to look at one another and go, well, I, I'm not really useful to God because I don't have that gift, 
I don't have the gift of teaching. I don't have the gift uh, of, of being able to heal people by laying on of hands and things like that. And when we begin to compare ourselves to one another based upon the gifts we see with them and the gifts that we see within us, a couple of things happen. First, it's really easy for us to put ourselves down and kind of isolate ourselves and say, God can't possibly use me because I'm not like that. And we sideline ourselves. And secondly, by comparing ourselves to another person, we start to look down upon them or, or, or begrudge their gifts rather than being able to celebrate the fact that God has gifted them uniquely and gifted us uniquely. Because their gifts are not for them simply to make their own name great. Their gifts are to build up the body of Christ. And we have a part to play because you are the only person that can do what God has uniquely designed you to do. He will never ask you, why aren't you more like Jimmy? Or why aren't you more like Brenda? Or why aren't you more like Ray? But he will ask you, why weren't you who I made you to be? Why'd you sideline yourself? So we each have gifts, and we are to use those gifts not simply to build ourselves up, but to build up the body of Christ. Make sense? And then he continues directly out of that in verse 11, and this is the section we're going to look at today. He builds off of that to talk about how the church is built up. He says in verse 11, So Christ himself gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and so that we will become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Then, when we reach maturity, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul, Paul, right out of talking about the fact that we have all been given gifts, looks at four different roles within the church, four different ways that he gifts certain people to help build up the body of Christ. He talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers. And you go, hold on a second, Eric, I can count. That's five, isn't it? Not four. But truth be told, if you look at the original Greek, that, that term pastor and teacher is grammatically linked and that he is, he is treating it as a single role within building up the body of Christ. So we'll talk about these things as four roles of leadership within the church. And let's talk about each of those for a moment. And keep in mind, as we are about to lean into this, that he is writing in the very early stages of the church as the gospel continues to spread and churches are starting to crop up. And this is very, very early on. And so some of the ways that he's using this term, some of the offices he talks about, look slightly different today than they did in his day and age. First, we come upon apostles. Apostles, that term literally means sent ones. 
And, and their purpose is they were ambassadors of the church, going into places where the church was not, sharing the gospel to break new ground, and ultimately to build the church by planting brand new little ecclesias, gatherings of the body of Christ. But one of the major factors for being given the title apostle was that every single person in the Bible that was called an apostle had seen the risen Jesus Christ with their own eyes in the flesh. This is a big deal because today we don't have people that were alive back then that saw the risen Jesus Christ in the flesh. We look forward to the day that we will, but as of right now, none of us can claim this. And so we would not use or ascribe that term apostle in the same way that we would have ascribed it in that day and age. And yet, there are still people today who are compelled to go where the church is not and share the gospel and to break new ground for the church. We would tend to call them things like missionaries or church planters. But you better believe that they are operating out of an apostolic gifting, out of an apostolic call. So we may not call them apostles, but they are still called and drawn to break new ground for the gospel. Does this make sense? That is their role in building up the church. Second, we come upon prophets. Now, when some of you hear that word prophet, the first thing you think about is somebody who tells the future, right? That's what a prophet does is they prophesy about what's going to happen. And yet that's not always what the prophets did. Yes, it's true that sometimes prophets in, throughout the Bible would say what was coming down the pipeline. But notice this. Every time they did so, it was for a reason. And that reason was to be a voice of correction for the church, for the body of Christ. Sometimes the things that they said was, if you don't change the way you're living, this will happen. Other times, it was, hey, don't lose heart. Yes, you find yourself in bondage right now, but there is coming a time God will not forget about you, and this is going to happen, so don't lose heart. And so even when they were telling the future, they were doing so in a way of helping to correct the, the posture of the heart of God's people. Furthermore, biblically, when we look at the prophets written about in the Bible, the people who held the title prophet, their role was not simply to tell what was coming, going to happen, but to speak the words of God. And they did so as a corrective voice for the church. A lot of times they stood on the outside, kind of calling out the power brokers, the religious elite of that day, saying, hey, be careful. You're walking the wrong way. You have missed the heart of God. They were a corrective voice for the church. And their voice was treated as tantamount to Scripture because remember, that was before the Bible had ever been codified into a book that we could then hold on to and go, this reveals the heart of God. It was the prophets that were really the precursors to the Bible. And their voice was treated on the same level as we would treat Scripture today. So fast forward to today. We now have the Bible to reveal God's heart to us. And although there are people who call themselves prophets today, we would be very cautious about anybody who would claim to speak with a similar authority to that that which we give Scripture, right? And yet, do not for a moment think that we don't need corrective voices within the church. Do not for a moment think that we don't need people to challenge the status quo 
or that leaders are perfect in and of themselves and that myself or Jeff or any other person who has been given responsibility over the church will not make false steps. We desperately need voices when they are called by God to speak up with humility, with gentleness, with kindness, and with love. But we need those voices. And I will warn you about this. Prophets are typically not very popular within the church. Sorry. Because they challenge the status quo. And traditionally, if you read scripture, you see that those with power tend to resist them. Because they challenge that person's voice. They challenge that person's monopoly on being able to say what is the right answer. But we need prophetic voices within the church. And I am one of those weird, strange pastors who really love prophets in my life. I surround myself with them because I'm the first to admit I'm not a perfect leader and I desperately need others to speak into it. So I've got a bunch of those people in my life. All right, so we have apostles, sent ones. We have prophets, those who act as a corrective voice to the church. And then we come to evangelists. As Jeff mentioned a while ago, all of us are called to be representatives of God. It doesn't give any, get any of us off the hook, but there are some who just by their very design cannot help but shut, or cannot shut up about their love for Jesus Christ. And regardless of where they are, they're telling people about Jesus, right? Have you met these people? People like Francis Chan, who just, wherever he is, he's telling people the good news. You go out into the, these are the kind of people who are out in, in the, the highways and the byways, and they're sharing the gospel message. They're sharing the good news. They're telling people about Jesus, and they're pointing them back to the ecclesia, to the church, to the body of believers, and saying, that's where you need to be. You need to surround yourself with others who also love Jesus and are on this similar journey to you. And, and the way that these evangelists build up the church is they literally recruit more people to be part of the church. So that is their contribution, their purpose. And then finally, we come to pastor teachers. Again, he treats it as one role. Although sometimes we see people with a teaching gift and they definitely don't have a shepherding gift. Or some people with a shepherding gift that really don't have a teaching gift. The pastor teacher's role is while the apostles are out breaking new ground and planting new churches, and while the prophets are kind of standing on the side being, beware, be cautious, do not forget your first love. And while the evangelists are out in the marketplace sharing the good news with other people, the pastor teachers are with the body of believers doing a couple of things. Number one, as teachers, they unpack God's word. They remind people of the heart of God and they point to the truth that is contained within these words. Not by their own authority, but by the authority of God's word. So that the the body of Christ would be able to discern truth from falsehood because there's plenty of that being bandied about in our culture, in any given culture. So one, they teach. And secondly, they pastor. Now that term pastor is synonymous with and is often translated shepherd because that's the role of that pastor is like a shepherd to sheep to walk along with the sheep and to protect them, protect them from wolves that would come in and, and, and t- pick apart the flock, to protect the flock from infighting that would tear it apart. And to just bind up the broken and wounded, to notice when people are missing. One of Jeff. My, my partner in crime here, one of his very greatest gifts is that he is amazing at recognizing when somebody is missing and then going after you. 
That's one of the reasons why we keep doing these name tags here. One, so that we don't have to go, hey, brother, every time you see somebody that you've seen a dozen times. But it's also, if you're not taking your name tag, you're going to get a phone call from Pastor Jeff. Just a warning, take your name tag, unless you want a phone call. You might want a phone call from him, which is totally great. But that is one of his gifts, is he is an absolutely phenomenal shepherd. And going, hey, missed you for a while. How are you doing? And, and following up with you. So, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers. But what is their point? What is the role that they play in caring for the church? Let's keep reading. If you have these evangelists, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, verse 12, they are there to equip God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in their faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Now let's pause for a moment. Look at verse 12 for just a second. Whose job is it to do works of service? This is the interactive portion. (laughs) Whose job? The people, right? But wait a minute. I thought it was the pastors within the church to do the work. And I thought it was the missionaries beyond the church to do the work that builds up the body. And in fact, that is pretty much how a church traditionally has operated. Kind of like a sporting event. A whole bunch of people in the stands desperately in need of exercise, rooting on a select few on the field who are desperately in need of rest. That's how the church has operated for far too long. We look to the pastors, and and by the way, that's why we pay pastors the big bucks, is to do the work so that I don't have to share the reasons why I love Jesus with my neighbor. All I have to do is get them in the door to the church, and it's the pastor's job to share the good news with them. So that I don't have to go and reach people in my neighborhood, across the street, or across the world. That's what we pay the missionaries to do. So that I can sit back. My job is simply to sit in a seat on a Sunday and throw some coin in in, in the basket when it goes by, and I am good. But notice that that is the antithesis of what Paul is saying here. He is not saying the evangelists the pastor teachers, the apostles and the prophets are the ones who do the work. No, it is the people who do the work in order to build up the church, which means that you are all ministers. Regardless of whether you collect a paycheck from the church, regardless of whether you ever hold a formal title at the church, you are a minister called to use the gifts that God has entrusted to you to build up the body of Christ. I cannot stress that powerfully enough. If there's one thing you hear this morning, hear that. You are a minister of Jesus Christ, gifted by his spirit to do works that he has prepared in advance for you to do. Which then begs the question, well, then what the heck do we need apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers for? Why pay anybody to do anything within the church? I hope I have a good answer for this, otherwise I'm out of a job. (laughs) Let's go back to verse 11 for a second, take a uh, a running leap at this. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers. Why? 
to equip God's people for works of service. Let's pause there for a moment. The church leadership's job is to equip you to do the work, to do all of the one another's we see in Scripture. Love one another, build one another up, hold one another up, pray for one another. And all 59 of the one another's that we see in Scripture, that is your responsibility. That is what you are called to do. What we, as the church leadership, are called to do is to equip you to do that. But what does it mean to equip somebody? We throw the, the definition of equip up for just a moment. The word in Greek is katartisos. That's a fun one. It's a tongue twister. Katartisos. And it's used for a lot of different things. Obviously, it's, it is translated equip, but it's also translated mend, restore, prepare. Let me give you some examples of the way that this term katartismos is used throughout history. When it comes to, say, a medical, the, the medical field, katartismos is used for binding up a broken limb resetting it so that it can heal properly or, or putting a, a disjointed joint back in place. They would use the term catartismos. Within uh, the political realm, taking two parties that are absolutely opposed to one another and helping them find consensus so that they can come together and do what they were elected to do, namely to govern for what's best for the people, they would t- use the term catartismos to, about bringing them together. Within the Bible, we see in the New Testament that when the disciples were out fishing and they came in, they were mending their nets. And that term mend is that term catartismos. They were making them ready to be used again for what they were intended. And then in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul talks about if you see a brother or sister caught in sin, you should restore them. And that term restore is catartismos. You should restore them, but you should do so with humility, gentleness, and above all, with love, knowing that you too might be tempted in the same ways. In all of those ways, that term catartismos that we have as equip is used, which means that when it comes to this word, what does it mean to equip? Let's go to the next one. To equip means to put something into the condition it ought to be so that it can do what it was intended to do. To, a, to equip means to put something into the condition it ought to be so that it can do what it was intended to do. And so when it comes to people, when it comes to you and me, what is, what is the role of the church? It is to equip you to do what God has designed you to do by helping build you up helping to train you, helping you to recognize in some ways the gifts you have to give you opportunities to to use them, to give you some space on the field for you to practice so that you can build up those spiritual muscles and use them. And if you do that, if you have that opportunity to use the gifts that God has given you, to love one another and love those beyond the walls of the church, then what will happen? Go back to verse 12. If we equip the people for the works of service so that... The body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The purpose 
of equipping you, of training you up so that you know how to use the gifts that God has given you to participate in the care and cultivation of his church, his body, if that happens, then we will all be more unified. We will all grow to be who God made us to be. And for any of you who are a parent, you know that your goal as a parent is not to raise grown children who are dependent upon you. The goal of any parent is to raise mature men and women who are capable of being leaders, capable of holding responsibility, capable of raising the next generation. We might use the term discipleship, right? That's the goal, is to help raise mature men and women. And and Paul sums it up with a single word, maturity. That's what we're after the fullness of who God made you and me to be. And then he shows us, he he goes on in, in verse 14 to explain some examples of what maturity looks like. Then, when we are mature, when we are fully grown in our ability to be used by God, then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ Jesus. So, as we grow in maturity, as the church is planted by apostles, and as the prophets act as corrective voices, and as the evangelists share the good news with a new generation of believer, and as the pastor teachers help protect and shepherd the flock, as well as teaching truth out of God's word so that you guys become self-feeders in your own right, and as you begin to then use the gifts God has given you, to care for his body, recognizing it's not about making your own name great, it's about caring for others. As we do this, we will become less vulnerable to false teaching. We will become less vulnerable to the movement of of society to dictate what is truth. And we will be more willing to speak the truth in love. One of my very favorite Proverbs is Proverbs 27. Can we throw it up there for a moment? Proverbs 27, 15 says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. Sometimes we avoid saying the hard truth to somebody because we don't want to make them upset. But the truth is, if you can't if you can't trust the, the feedback of other people around you who love you, who are within the body of Christ, who can you trust? Because there is a world full of people who will say whatever your itching ears want you to hear so long as you become more like them. If we can't trust, if we can't lean on, if we don't build one another up, and sometimes that looks like speaking the truth in love, then we are in danger And Paul says, hey, love one another enough to speak truth, to build one another up, to continue to seek unity and to help not just yourself to grow in maturity, but for the help, the entire body of believers to grow in maturity. 
And he closes this thought in verse 16 with these words. From him, the head, who are we trying to become more like? Our head, Jesus Christ. From him, the whole body, this entire beautiful, messy group of of believers that are not only gathered here, but all throughout Costa Mesa and all throughout California and all throughout America and all throughout the world, every single man, woman, and child who calls Jesus Christ Lord is part of the body of Christ. And from him, our head, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Because it is not my job or Jeff's job to do all the ministry and have you simply sit passively and be fed. It is our job to equip you to do ministry throughout the week so that the body of Christ is built up so that not only are we stronger, but so that we are a beacon of hope in our community or in your spheres of influence. Because let's be honest, you can reach people that I can't. I can't possibly get to the mobile home park that you live in to minister to your neighbors the way you can. I can't possibly be there at your home to help a next-door neighbor who is crashing down like I know some of you have in the last week. I can't possibly walk onto your school campuses and interact with the students. I would be arrested in a heartbeat. But, but the way that you can with your friends, you become Jesus Christ to them. You become the representative of the church. You become the, 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 the groundbreaker who, who, who evangelizes by simply being Christ-like in your sphere of influence. I can't go to your workplace And share the good news the way that you can simply by living the good news and being who God made you to be. You are not called to be me. Only I am. But I am not called to be you. Only you are. So what do we do with this? What does this mean? Well, a couple of thoughts as I wrap this up today. First, We are not called to be somebody else. We are called to be ourselves, and we are the only ones who can be who God has called us to be. I want to make sure I'm going the right way. We are called to build up the body, but I don't want you to hear this as a call for you solely to use the gifts that God has given you within the church. Far too often... When the church talks about using your gifts, we are talking about it in an insular sort of way. We need your help. We need you to serve here. And I don't want you to hear this message as saying that. Because truth be told, we are called not only to care for one another, but we are called to be a beacon of hope beyond the walls of this place. And so my invitation to you is for you to use the gifts that God has given you wherever you have that opportunity, whether it's here at the church or it's beyond the walls of this church. If you have the gift of singing, great. If you want to use it here, we would love to have you talk to Pete and utilize it here or within your life group. Or you could use it beyond that. Maybe organize a a Christmas caroling thing to go to your neighbors and, and just celebrate the birth of Jesus in this coming months. If you have the gift of baking, we are not going to turn our noses up at you bringing food 
to bless us. I'm so grateful for the fruit platter that shows up most weeks in the back. That is a gift of somebody in our church. She finds joy in doing that. But you could also use that same gift to bless the teachers at your local school or to bless the firefighters or the police officers locally or to bless a neighbor Take them a meal when something's going sideways in their life. You have no idea, unless you've been the recipient, you have no idea how much of a blessing that is to receive a home-cooked meal when you feel totally overwhelmed with life. If you got the gift of teaching, you can come and talk to me and say, hey, I'd love to, I'd love to help kind of get prepared for Sunday mornings and maybe teach at some point. You could help facilitate a life group, although that's not a, a place for you to teach. That's a place for conversation. But if you're a teacher in the school, lean into that, knowing that every time you walk onto that campus, one, they're not going to arrest you like they would me if I just showed up. And secondly, you have the opportunity to be a representative of Jesus Christ on that school campus every single day, even if you never say his name, simply by loving those students and speaking truth and being a sounding board and being available speaks more powerfully than, than any message I could ever give would. So whether it's here or beyond the walls of the church, use your gifts. Secondly, I recognize that this section of Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, really is the calling statement for what we as a church are called to be. This is our responsibility not to do the work, but to help equip you so that you can be used by God to do what he has made you to do. We put it this way. Our our purpose statement sums up the heart of this. Our purpose statement, and hopefully you know this, and if not, I'll remind you what our purpose statement is as a church, is to make disciples, followers of Jesus, not followers of Jeff or me, to make disciples who love God, love one another, and love their neighbor. That is what we are called as the church to do and to be. And if we are following Jesus and growing in our relationship with God, with one another, and loving our neighbors, then we truly are being disciples. So that is what we are called to do as a church, is to equip you to be the church. And so we are going to lean more heavily into that. In the coming year, February and March, we are going to lean heavily into conversations about vocation and specifically how has God uniquely designed you to be who he has created you to be and how can you more fully live that out? We are going to spend all of spring having that conversation. And all next year, we are going to have some really, there's some big stuff coming next year that's going to help us recognize as a church how he has uniquely created us to play a part in our work, in our ministry, in our calling, and then also to step back and say, okay, now that we know who we've got and we know kind of what we've been called to do individually, how about us as a church? What are we uniquely designed to do? We are going to have some big conversations next year about that. It's going to require some weekends. I'll tell you more about that in in about a month or so. In January, I'm going to go more deeply into that, but that's what's coming because we take this call to make disciples very seriously. And we, we don't want to just talk about it and then say, now, now go and do likewise. We want to actually take steps to equipping you. Final thought. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward.
it was nice for me to say, hey, it's our job to equip you, but how do we do that? I'll tell you what we don't lean on is we don't rely on Sunday mornings to be the sole place that we equip you. Because how on earth can anybody, whether it be myself or Jeff or anybody on this planet, how can anybody in a 45-minute message equip an entire room full of people who are who, although united in Christ, are all very different in personality and gifting. One message cannot possibly equip all of you to do what God has called you to do and be the sons and daughters that he's called you to be. Can't do it. Furthermore, if we simply rely on Sundays to be the outlet for you to practice your gifts, well, that would be like a coach looking to the stands, to the, 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 the countless people in the stands and saying, hey, you guys are in the wrong seats. You're on the team. Get down here. And then once everybody gets down out of the seats and down to the field, he goes, oh, by the way, sorry, all the positions are filled. Your place is on the bench. How disheartening and discouraging is that? That's not what we want to do. And if you're waiting for God to use you and you think that you have to be used on Sundays, you're going to be waiting for a long time and you're going to get discouraged. And ultimately, you're going to say, you know, that church doesn't have a clue how to disciple people. It doesn't have a clue how to equip people. Which is why we lean heavily into life groups. Why we say the, the number one place where you will grow, the number one place where you will be equipped, the number one place where you will grow in your discipleship towards Jesus Christ is in a life group with 10 to 15 other men and women who are hungry to grow in their relationship with God as well. Because it's in life groups that you can continue the conversation and where your voice can be heard. It's in life groups where you can dig more deeply into how has God uniquely designed me. It's in life groups where other people who oftentimes see us better than we see ourselves can speak words of life, or life-giving words of truth and call things out in you that they see but you don't see because you've already written yourself off. And so if you're not currently in a life group, I want to challenge you to get in one. On your connection card, indicate your desire to be in one and Jeff will make sure that we get you plugged in because that is the primary way that we grow in our relationship with God. That is the primary way that we equip you here in the church. But it's not the only way that we're equipped. We also lean very heavily into looking for opportunities for you to get out of your seats and onto the field to practice the gifts that God has developed in you. And and toward that end, we partner with Trellis is a wonderful organization that is here to equip the church, us, to do what God has called us to do in order to address the biggest issues that we see in our community, namely around education and making sure that every child, by the time they hit third grade, is reading at a third grade reading level. If you have a heart for children, that is a wonderful place to lean in. Around homelessness, we've got a ton of people in our community that are struggling, that don't have a roof over their head and loving on them with dignity so that they can get back on their feet. If you want to find out more ways that you can serve in that, on the back of your bulletin. And then finally, the third way that Trellis is really helping the church is around the area of immigration and particularly helping to bring two very disparate people together, in many ways like dozens of very disparate people from lots of different areas of our city together so that we are worshiping together. Opportunities like tonight, the One Voice night of worship for the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, like it's going on tonight. These are those opportunities for us to be the church together. 
But there's some other ways I want to let you know about, especially as we enter into um, the, the holiday season. There's some really easy, low-hanging fruit ways that you guys can dive in. And life groups, I'm talking specifically to you. I want to see you guys grab hold of some of these. There, there are two sheets on the back table out in the foyer. Both of them are sponsored by Fresh Beginnings Ministry, a guy named Bill Nelson. You can't see him, but I'm... Where are you, Billy? There you are. Stand up. This is Bill. Say hi to Bill. He is our formerly holy man, but it is closed up. We're all very happy about that. Bill is the founding minister of Fresh Beginnings Ministry that is solely focused on helping train people up to love on the least and the lost within our our community, and particularly around the area of homelessness. They have a lot of ways you can get involved between Thanksgiving, preparing meals, delivering meals, and Christmas, preparing meals, delivering meals, baking cookies. Those of you with baking, here's a great opportunity. If you want to help out in some capacity, on the table out in the foyer, there's a couple of sheets of paper. And in the next two months, I want, to, I want to invite our entire church to respond. And our life groups, I want to challenge you. Maybe it's not with fresh beginnings. Maybe it's some other way, but I want to challenge you to serve in some capacity over the next couple of months. And then there's Young Lives as well. Talk to Teresa. Stand, stand, stand up, Teresa. No, stand up. There you go. Talk to Teresa if you're interested in helping young mothers who have children and, and providing a space for them to grow in their relationship with God while their kids are being loved on and cared for. So if you're good at holding babies, there you go. Talk to Teresa. If you want to invest in young moms who are just trying to get back on their feet, teenage mothers, talk to Teresa. There's a bunch of other ways. We'll, we'll roll some others out in the coming weeks. But we want to give you on-ramps, opportunities to use the gifts that God has given you so that the body of Christ is built up and that the church can be the church. And so that others who at this point don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior will see the hope that they have found in you and ask questions enough that they would become sons and daughters of God as well. All right? So one last thing I want to invite you to do. One would be to use your gifts, but secondly, I'm going to borrow yours, Cheryl. I'll give it back, maybe. Here's the connection card. I want to invite you to come out of hiding because the reality is that Jeff and I hear about opportunities all the time that people have needs within our church. And we want to give you an opportunity to just kind of come out of hiding and say, hey, I've got gifts. I've got talents. I'm not sure if the church needs them. I'm not sure if it would benefit anything, but hey, here I am. If you're good with finances, you'd be happy to walk alongside somebody else who's really struggling. Let us know. If you're good at administration, you're like, I don't know if you guys need administration. Trust me, I'm a pastor. We desperately need administration. I'm so grateful for Jeannie, and I'm grateful for others with that gift, but we always have need for that. Let me give you one example. We have for the last year, in January, I said, hey, guys, we're praying that God would raise up some new musicians, and particularly a drummer, because we're we're having to hire people to come in, which is fine, and I'm so grateful that we can. I'm so grateful for God's provision, but... We just pray that God would bring a drummer to us. A couple of weeks ago, guy Josh, one of our young adults, who is, who is helping out with our junior high youth ministry, he goes, hey, Jeff, by the way, um, I used to be a drummer in a band. If you guys ever need any of that, it's like, right? There are some of you sitting in the seats right now that have gifts that you don't even realize the church needs. We want to invite you out of the stands and onto the field. So on your connection card, I want to invite you to write down 
the gifts that you feel like God has, has birthed in you. Maybe you're not all that aware of them and maybe you want to spend the week praying about it and you want to jot them down or maybe you want to email them into us. But we are going to compile these so that in the coming weeks and months when an opportunity comes up, we can go search through our, our, our church and have a better idea of who we've got and to be able to call people directly towards stuff. Make sense? So please, on the front of your connection card, tell us who you are so that we can actually link up the gifts. And then on the back, just list out the ways that um, you would be willing to let God help himself to your life. And you can also include on there prayer requests. Or if you want to get involved in a life group or some other thing, you can do that on that connection card. And in just a moment, we're going to have the, the, uh, the ushers come and, and take an offering. But now let's just, let's just worship our God who loves us enough that he takes broken, imperfect people like us and lets us pour out his perfect love. Let's just celebrate our God. Father God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for using us. Thank you that the church is the only organization that exists for the benefit of those who are not its members. That we get to be used by you to love people that don't feel lovable. That we get to be ambassadors of hope to a world that feels in times very hopeless for a lot of people around us. Would you give us the eyes to see the opportunities and the wisdom to know how to use what you have given us, the gifts, the talents, the abilities, the resources, to bring them to bear on what you're doing so that you get the glory and that your name is made great and that your church is built up. I pray these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen. Let's worship together.
Lord, as we get ready to uh, take the offering, um, we're just reminded that it's all yours. Um, all of it belongs to you. All of it comes from you. Um, just like a, a, a little kid whose uh, parents gave them money that they turned around and, and bought a birthday present for their parents with the money that they got from their parents. Uh, the money that we have came from you, and we just turn it back over to you gladly and say thank you for uh, what you allow us to keep and how, Father, you bless us um, beyond measure and, and where we live and, and uh, the part of the world that we're in. Father, we are so blessed. Uh, you have really lavishly poured out um, into our lives. So we just ask that you would use this offering and, um, and make it a blessing uh, here in the church and beyond the walls of this church. Amen. And if you're a guest or a visitor, please don't be obligated to give. This is just something we do here as part of uh, Lighthouse's uh, family membership. And so, um, you know, just let it go by. But we certainly value your prayers. If you want to pray for us, that's awesome.
All right. Hey, a couple of things. If you are new to Lighthouse, we just want to thank you for being here. So we have a gift that's for you right out on the